Right, our scripture reading tonight is, uh, is from uh, Micah chapter 5. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand and Andy would be happy to bring you one of our Bibles from the back. And if you are reading in one of those Bibles from the back, it's found on page 636 in that Bible. I'm really excited that I get to read tonight. This is, so we had what the, what the Super Bowl was uh, last Sunday, right? Uh, this is like the Super Bowl of like Old Testament texts. So this is a great, it's a great text to read. So uh, Micah, Micah chapter 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft, and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. I was not aware that I was preaching at the Super Bowl tonight. Uh, that's exciting. I feel like Terry's our like Old Testament uh, scholar in residence, uh, so uh, he gets really excited about really like Old Testament passages. So that's awesome. I'll just draw my energy from over there tonight. Uh, let me pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your Word. Uh, thank you for um, the excitement for your Word. Your Word does have a message for us each and every week. We want to hear from you. We want to set our hearts and our minds on you. Help us to do that as a church personally. Uh, help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So King Hezekiah, maybe some of you have heard of this king, this Old Testament king. Uh, he faced some pretty serious obstacles in his lifetime, some, some steep challenges. 
During his life, the Assyrian army, uh, a military force just known for their absolute brutality and violence, they came to Jerusalem, they came to the land of Judah where Hezekiah was king, and they just ransacked the country, and they came up to the walls of Jerusalem. And the king of Assyria, a guy named Sennacherib, uh, not the most popular name to name your baby, but uh, Sennacherib, uh, he sent his messenger uh, to mock Hezekiah and to mock the king, uh, the God of Israel. So he's like standing outside the walls, mocking Hezekiah, mocking their God. And we actually see this referenced a little bit in verse 1. So if you look at your Bibles, if you look at verse 1, it says this. says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Right, so uh, troops, the Assyrians, they've come to Israel. They're, they're, they've come to Jerusalem. They're, they're striking Israel's ruler, Hezekiah, on the cheek. See, he's facing some pretty steep personal obstacles. He might lose his kingdom. His warriors could abandon him. He might die. The nation of Israel might perish. and He might be the one to lead it through that time. And I know some of us, we might be facing some personal obstacles as well. Everyone's going through something, right? Maybe your obstacle is financial. You're in a time of kind of uh, tough uh, budgeting, tough uh, money issues. Maybe it's just your schedule. You can't find any time in the day. You're just constantly busy and it's draining you. Maybe uh, it's deeper than that. You have a difficult relationship in your family or friends or you're depressed or melancholy or facing something on the inside as well. There's no good news. All you hear is bad news. We're all facing some personal obstacles, some personal challenges in our lives, aren't we? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We all go through tough times. Now, the obstacles that Hezekiah faced, they were personal, right? He's a king. These, these are hitting him as, a, as an individual. But even more than that, they were corporate. See, they, these obstacles, these challenges, they were hitting the people. It wasn't just him who faced the Assyrians. It was the people of Jerusalem. It was the people of Israel, the community. All of them were in this together. The whole people were at risk. Jerusalem means city of peace. And it's facing war. It's facing, facing annihilation. It's facing exile. The people are probably going to die. They're probably going to starve. And the enemy is telling them, you know, your God's not going to deliver you. And we have an enemy, too, that tells us that, right? God's not going to deliver you. He loves to tell us that. He loves us to believe that. And we can buy into that belief personally. I can believe that. We can even buy into it corporately as a community. See, the people of Judah, they were facing these obstacles together, and so it made me begin to think about Cornerstone, and I was a little reflective. What are we as a community facing? So I know some of your personal issues, but what obstacles are we facing as a church? Now, I don't preach very many sermons on this topic but tonight, I actually want to kind of talk about the big three that many churches face, because I think we're facing these as obstacles ourselves. And the big three that you might hear sermons on or you don't want to hear a sermon on is money, 
attendance, and evangelism. Money, attendance, and evangelism. And these are obstacles we face corporately. I think we are facing a money obstacle. Cornerstone is an incredibly generous church body. We, we give so much of our time and money, and yet, for some reason, we still have a budget shortfall this year of $18,000 right now about that. And what that means is as we go into the next ministry year, starting July 1, the finance team is saying, hey, we got to cut our budget by a lot. And then we're suddenly not able to do those ministries that we really want to do, to support those things that we really want to support. And so this is just an obstacle to us doing what God has called us to do as a church. And let's just admit that. How about attendance? Now, tonight is a beautiful night. This is so wonderful, looking out and seeing so many people here. This is amazing, but this is not the norm. Last year, our attendance from July through the end of June was 59 people. And this year, it's been 49 people since July 1st. That's a drop of 10 people. When we first launched Cornerstone, it was like 75 people. It's like, wow, we have a lot of people here. And now it's like 55 people. Man, there's a lot of people here. And that's discouraging. And that's an obstacle that I know our leadership certainly feels, but I think many of you who, who spend your time and energy giving to Cornerstone might feel as well. How about evangelism? That's another obstacle. Man, our church is mostly made up of transplants. That means people that have come from either other churches or other communities. Now, we, when we started Cornerstone, the intention was not to just gather believers from other churches, is actually to go out and to make new disciples, to make new followers of Jesus, to reach the unchurched. And we've seen that happen a little bit here, a little bit there, but we haven't grown because of that. And so that's a challenge. That's really difficult. That's an obstacle that we're facing. Now, let's just talk about it. Let's face them. And let's find a solution. And I actually think tonight's passage, Micah 5, gives us not a solution, but the solution. It leads us to where we should be setting our hearts. Because it is easy to, to see these obstacles, these challenges, and just get your mind so wrapped on them. The money, the finances, the attendance, the evangelism. And just think, man, we got to make this church a success. And I want to be clear that a church that is packed every week like it is this week or a church that has lots of baptisms or just is flush with cash, <laughs> that isn't necessarily a success in God's eyes. See, those don't make a success in the kingdom of God. But those also aren't things that we should ignore. Because if we don't have them, we shouldn't think, oh, well, we must be holier or more, or more successful in God's kingdom they're real measurements that we need to think about. To, to, to see success really is to be seeing those lives changed by God. But our sermon isn't today necessarily about those things. It's, it's about our focus. It's about when we encounter obstacles personally and when we encounter them as a church, and now we've named them, right? We're bringing them before God. We're saying, God, here, here, I'm laying my obstacles before you. I'm laying my challenges before you. Maybe you can call something to mind that, that you are thinking of personally in your own life or maybe you're thinking about on behalf of the church that you're concerned about. Just bring that before God right now and just place it down before God. Once we've done that, we can begin to reset our focus, to reset our eyesight on what we should be looking 
right? Have you ever, uh, it's like when you're, when you're driving somewhere and you're, or, you're, or you're walking like really fast, you're like, man, I, I see the, like, that thing on the side of the street. I really, I don't want to hit that thing. But the longer you look at it, the more likely you are to hit it. <laughs> we have to change our eyesight. We have to lift our gaze and we have to set our eyes on Jesus. This brings me to our first point from verses one through six. This is our first response. What we do with our eyes. Set your eyes on Jesus. We need to set our eyes on Christ. See, what does Micah do? (laughs) The people are Judah. They're facing destruction. They're facing exile. It kind of makes our problems look a little simpler. (laughs) We're not facing destruction or exile. In chapter 2, it was the destruction of their temple was prophesied. And then chapter 4 is the exile to Babylon. What does Micah do? Because what, what, Micah, what Micah says, what Micah, what Micah prophesies here in this passage today, if it can work for them in their super serious situation, it can work for us in our situation and the obstacles that we're facing in our lives and together as a church. And we see it in verse 2, which really is kind of the center point, the, one of the most important verses in, in the entire Bible. I'll I'll give that to you, Terry. Verse 2, what does it say? It says this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, this this is a, a prophecy, and there's a lot of beauty in this little verse. It's saying, that something big is going to come out of something insignificant. Something big is going to come out of something insignificant. And that's true for us as a church, and God can be doing that in our lives as well. See, Bethlehem is this tiny little town that doesn't even make it on the map. It doesn't, it doesn't get on like the big lists of all the important cities. It's it's kind of like Forge Village or Graniteville. Like, if you look for it, you can see it, but no one's like, man, I'm going to go to Massachusetts so I can visit Forge Village. Like, unless you know someone that's there, you're probably not going to respond that way. But this town has a history of being a small town that God does amazing things through. And it's a small town that, 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 that gave rise that, that the, the most important king up to this point in the story of the scriptures came out of, King David. King David came from this town. See, our God loves to use what is weak and small to overcome the big and the strong. And we actually see that in verse 4. We, we see in verse 4 kind of a description of what this, this king who comes out of weakness, what, what greatness he will do. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. <laughs> this king will come, this, this shepherd king from this tiny little village, and yet he will rule over the entire world. See, their current king, Hezekiah, he's not strong enough. He's not capable enough. They need a king that can lead them through, that can lead them through anything. And Micah is inviting the people to to place their eyes not on Hezekiah, but on a future king. 
And that's what I'm inviting you to do tonight. Whatever you're going through personally, and as what, kind of what we go through corporately as a church, the obstacles and the, the challenges that we face, let's place our eyes on our shepherd king. A shepherd leads his flock, doesn't he? A shepherd cares for his flock. A shepherd wants to take his flock to a place that is good for them so they can graze and live and, and be healthy. And our king is the same way. He wants to take us to, to a place that honors him, where he can be praised and where we can be uh, knowing him and enjoying him. And so tonight we need to kind of personally and corporately refocus our eyes on Jesus. And notice, I want to say this doesn't make our problems vanish. (laughs) The Bible is not a magical book. It's not like a magic trick where suddenly, you know, boom, our problems are gone. It's not like that at all. But it does help us refocus on our problems. See, when you realize that tonight we are worshiping and we are in the spiritual presence of the king of the universe who owns a thousand cattle, he owns all the cattle on all the hills, he owns every person, is made in his image, when you understand how much he has and who he is, it says, oh, my problems, our problems don't look as bad. (laughs) They don't look quite as serious because I'm no longer looking at them. I'm looking at the king. I'm looking at my shepherd. I'm looking at Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see grace and goodness and love and compassion. And we see a shepherd who's leading us forward. See, when the people of Micah's day, when they would have heard this prophecy, they wouldn't have known the name of Jesus. They would have known some things from this verse. They would have known that This person's going to come, who's going to lead the people. He's going to be ruler, so he's going to be a king. His origins are from old, from ancient times. What does that mean? Well, the Bible in other places actually uses that to refer to God. This is is a king. This is a God king. And yet, a little while later, in verse uh, 4, it says, you know, he'll do this in the strength of the Lord. That means he's also someone who's going to depend on God for his strength, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It would have been like this mystery that they were having to place their faith in, this mystery that God had given them hints on but hadn't quite unraveled completely. And tonight, well, we have the mystery. The mystery has been unraveled. Who could possibly fulfill all these things? Who can be from of old and yet born? Well, there's only one. His name is Jesus, the Messiah, our shepherd, King. See, they had a veil, and our veil has been removed. And now we have an opportunity. We have an invitation. Because we can know all these great Bible things. We can know, like, the minutia of this ancient text and the book of Micah from the Hebrew Scriptures. But if we don't actually place our hope in him, in Jesus, it's not going to really do us much good. See, we are meant to be people of hope. Apparently the youth talked about this this week on Thursday evening, that as Christians, we're not to despair, we're not to live defeated lives, we're not to be focused on our problems, and I'm preaching this to myself, but I'm also preaching it to you. We're not to set our eyes on ourselves, we're to set our eyes on Christ and his victory. He died. He faced Hezekiah's worst nightmare, absolute death. 
and he rose again. He rose from the grave and he defeated sin and death and now we have so much hope because he is victorious. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that means if you believe in him and you know him and you trust him, then you have that victory too. We have that victory as a church, as the people of God. It can be really bad if you set your eyes on the wrong things. Right? A couple months ago, I, I was uh, kind of rearranging my living room and I was working down in my basement because I wanted to get this cord uh, from the basement up into uh, my living room. And so I had a drill and I was drilling like the floor just out of the wood a little bit, the plank, so that I could uh, make the hole a little bit wider uh, so I could get the cord through it. And I like drilled it. And I was like, okay, it's good. I'm like, oh, I'm going to look up in. And then just right as I did that, sawdust came and just like fell right in my eye. And it scratched the white part of my eye, and it really, really hurt. And I was like putting it underneath the sink and then sitting in a, in a dark room and just weeping. I'm just kidding. I wasn't weeping, but that's what it felt like. It really, it really hurt. It stung. I couldn't see anymore. It made it really hard to do chores. I was wearing like these black uh, sunglasses for the rest of the day. I was the epitome of cool. And I couldn't function, right? And if we get the wrong things in our eyes, we're not going to be able to function as God intends. See, if your problems and your situations and your circumstances and our problems and our situations and our circumstances of church, if those are the things that we set our mind and heart on, we're not going to be able to function as God intends. We're not going to be able to do the things that he's calling us to do. Because the funds may run out, the people may run out, but we're still called to do the same thing to love God and to love others. I want to encourage you, you know, maybe you're, you're faithful and you come every week, maybe this is the first time in a while, but church attendance matters because it's like this eye drop that we're putting in our eyes every week. It's helping us reset our hearts and our minds and our eyes on Christ Jesus. Because when else, when else during the week do we actually stop and take 35 minutes to like study God's word and to sing music together to like set our minds and our hearts on Jesus. We don't do that throughout the week. And if you're missing church, you're, you're missing kind of that opportunity to reset your, your eyes and your, your kind of way of life on what really matters, Christ Jesus. I don't think you can do it alone. It doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to or how great your devotional life is. You need a people. You need a community to come alongside you and walk with you in that. Verse 3 actually talks about, it says, and the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. This, this kind of community that is restored through the king. See, we need a community to focus our eyes on Christ. I want to say that, that we are gonna, we're going to encounter real obstacles and real problems, but we can know without a shadow of a doubt that, that there is victory and that there is hope because of Christ Jesus. Verse 5 says this, and it says, and he will be our peace. It doesn't say, and he will be our peace when things are going well. It says, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. And the Assyrians are invading the land and they're marching through our fortresses. Does that sound like victory <laughs> in their circumstances? No. 
But God's doing something. He's raising up other shepherds. He's raising up his people. He's using tough circumstances to reset our focus on what really matters, Christ Jesus. So let's do this. Let's refocus on who really matters, this ancient one, this this shepherd king. Let's refocus as a church. There's a couple opportunities to do this. One is tomorrow night. I hope you know what tomorrow night is. It's 6 o'clock. Andy's put together this evening of worship. By put together, I mean he kind of called it, and then he's inviting everyone to come, and they're going to have kind of a worship team, and you can share something. You can ask for a certain song. I think there's a a list of songs in the bulletin, so you can go home and you can look at that and say, hey, is there anything in here that I'd really like to sing? But it's an opportunity for us to come together and reset our eyes on Christ Jesus, to really focus on him. Forget about your personal issues. Forget about church challenges. Just focus on Jesus. The second opportunity isn't coming up until March, but the outreach team came to the elders and said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we we took some time to really pray and fast and like reset our hearts and minds on Christ Jesus as a church? And the elders said, yes, that's a great idea. So in early March, I'm going to set, I'm going to preach a sermon on prayer and fasting, and then we're going to have kind of a dedicated time that we as a church can do that together corporately. One thing that prayer and fasting does, it helps you get rid of those other things that you fill your life with, right? Busyness, uh, uh, social media, food. It, it helps us kind of remove those and take that time that we would have spent on those things and spend it on Jesus. To spend it really focusing on him and, and asking him to be speaking to you, to be speaking to us as a church body. I think that's what we need. We are going into budget season, and that can be really hard. So let's, let's pray about what really matters to the Lord. Let's spend our time focusing on Christ Jesus. So let's set our eyes on him together as a church. So the first six verses, verses one through six, are Micah's call to set the people's eyes on their shepherd king who will come and will deliver them. We know who that is. It's Christ Jesus. And what happens next? So we have this hope, we experience this peace, even in our difficult circumstances, but there's another response because we're not called to just keep this to ourselves. This actually ties into one of our obstacles I mentioned. So we respond with our eyes, but we also respond with our feet, that we take the gospel out. We share the gospel. Verse 7 says this. It says, The remnant of Jacob, so the people of God, will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. So the picture Micah is painting is that all these these people are going to come to God, they're going to know God, and then they're going to (laughs) disperse. They're going to go out into the world, and they're going to be the people of God in places like Assyria, in places like Babylon. They're not going to just hide. See, when we encounter obstacles, when we encounter personal challenges and resistance, what's the first thing that we do? (laughs) We we hide, right? Maybe, you know, it's the fight or flight syndrome. I guess you either lash out or you withdraw. But as the people of God, as the church, we're not supposed to do that. We're called to be out in the world like dew from the Lord, 
like showers on the grass. Now, where, did, where does dew take place and where do showers take place? Like, do you think we'd ever come in here and there would be like dew in the sanctuary? Or like, like one day I'm just like, wow, like a shower just blew through the sanctuary. It just really blew through the church. No, that takes place outside, right? Unless we left the windows open, don't do that, right? A dew takes place outside in the, in the world. And it's this picture of just refreshment, of blessing, right? Like walking through the morning dew in your bare feet. See, we as the people of God are to refresh the world with dew, with showers, with life. And what is more life-bringing and refreshing than Jesus Christ, than the good news about this shepherd king? We're to be out in the midst talking about this king being a blessing with the gospel, and we will experience victory. Verses 8 and 9, they talk about a young lion. It's just kind of all these like uh, kind of very... Uh, Dramatic, almost vicious terms, like this young lion's going to tear things apart. I don't think that means that we're supposed to approach the world that way and go out and tear people apart. Some people do that, but that's not what we're called to do. I think it's a picture of the complete victory that we will have as we are that due, as we are that blessing. God will give us victory. In him, it might not look like what we imagine it to look like, but it will look like victory in God's kingdom. But it's not as we stay, it's not as we stay inside here, it's as we go, as we go out into the world. This is why we need to be continually challenging ourselves to look outside and to think about ways that we can serve our community, serve Westford, and share the gospel on our front lines, but also, that's a personal thing, also corporately. How can we be, be going and, and sharing Christ out in the world, sharing about this shepherd king? Let's recapture God's vision that Romans talks about. Romans chapter 10 says this. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I want to challenge everyone in this room tonight to walk outside this evening and think about one person you can invite to either the game night on Friday night. Like that's, uh, it's, there's not going to be any particular gospel presentation at that thing. We're going to have maybe some invites to Christianity Explored or invite someone to Christianity Explored, which starts on uh, the 28th, which is a time to to really share about Jesus. Now, both those events are in this church, right? It's a starting point. <laughs> but it begins by going out there. And so let's do that. Let's embrace that. Let's use our feet that God gave us to walk the gospel out. Now, I don't know if the people in Micah's day wanted this part, right? They want the king. They, they want deliverance. <laughs> do they want the king? I hope so. The king usually brings more than they bargained for. <laughs> the king calls them to, to obedience and to, to serve him. What do shepherds do? They move their sheep from pasture to pasture. If sheep stay into a field too long, they overgraze, and that's not healthy for sheep. And so we need to direct our eyes to Jesus. We need to, to walk 
our feet out to share the gospel. And then finally, we need to deal with what's going on inside our hearts. We need to turn our hearts, your heart, from its idols. Look at the verses, uh, verse 10 through 15, really talk about the idols of, of the people, the things that they were trusting in. I will destroy your horses. You trusted in horses and chariots, verse 10, I'll destroy them. Verse 11, you trusted in your cities and your strongholds. I'll destroy those too. Verse 12, you trusted in your witchcraft. Verse 13, you trusted in your idols. I will destroy them as well. That's what God promises us. See, God loves us too much to let us worship things like our money, our time, even success as a church. He, 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 he loves you too much to let you keep kind of worshiping those things that you're individually gravitating towards, those things that you love the most and that you spend the most time on. I don't know what that is. Your family, your career, your sports, it could be anything. He loves you too much, and so he says, I'm going to destroy these things. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to bring you to myself. This doesn't mean he'll actually like physically destroy the object that you love. But I think he'll deal with your idolatry, and he'll deal with my idolatry, and he invites us to confess, to say, I have been worshiping other things. I have put other things before you, Christ Jesus. Help me turn and, and follow you. Christ helps us do this. Deuteronomy 33.12 says this. It says, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. So it's this beautiful picture that our Lord God, our shepherd king, is like, it's like a shepherd that comes to like a lost or hurting lamb, and he picks the lamb up, and he puts the lamb on his shoulders, takes the lamb where he needs to go. So we, we have a, a shepherd who's going to rescue us and who, who provides rest. Because when, we, when we're so wrapped up in those other things, our idols or our circumstances or our obstacles, it just drains us. And those things will not satisfy us. But our shepherd, he went to the cross. He went to the cross to lay down his life so that he could rescue his sheep. He shed his blood so that spotted lambs, so that dirty lambs in the mud can become spotless, white as snow lambs. So if you're caught in your sin and your idolatry, and you've been putting yourself first above God day after day, the lamb has laid down his life for you so that you can repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ once more and know that you are forgiven. You don't have to be overwhelmed with guilt or shame. You are forgiven. This is the gospel. You're forgiven. And so we set our eyes on Jesus. We walk this beautiful message of gospel grace out. And we set our hearts on Christ as we repent of our idols. And as we turn from our sins. And this is just what the call to the people of Israel was. Turn from your ways. Turn to your Savior. Share the good news. So my big idea, kind of the, the big point of the message is just this prayer. Help our eyes, feet, and hearts follow you, Jesus. Help our eyes, feet, and hearts follow you, Jesus. If you can remember eyes, feet, and heart, I think you got the point of this sermon tonight. 
You know what King Hezekiah did when he was faced with this destruction, these impossible odds? He, he, he went up to the house of the Lord, he went up to the temple, and he prayed before God. He just prayed before God, and, and God answered. God killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and that king, Sennacherib. The, the victory was just astounding. It was complete. It was total. And Christ can give us that victory if he wants. If it's the Lord's will, we can overcome those things in our lives. But ultimately, it's about refocusing on Jesus, right? So that even if those things continue to persist in our lives, it doesn't matter because we're enjoying Christ. Our eyes are focused on him. We're loving him. We're sharing it with others. And we're dealing with those sin issues inside of our hearts. Jesus, help our eyes, feet, and hearts follow you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Jesus, help us set our eyes on you. Help us think about you. When, when those other things come to mind this week, the obstacles we face individually, corporately, help us set our heart and our mind on you. Give us boldness to share this hope with others and give us honesty with ourselves and put other people in our lives that will help us recognize our own sins, our own idols so that we can confess and so that we can be refreshed. Jesus, we love you. You're our shepherd king. Thank you for laying down your life for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.